and welcome to the one-on-one Diabetes Care Podcast program, looking at different type 2 personalities, different coping styles, different supporting roles, switching hats in type 2 care. In each episode, you will hear from various experts across the diabetes care space in Canada to bring you perspectives, real-life patient scenarios, and tools on how to tailor behavioral support strategies based on the different personalities and coping styles of people with type 2 diabetes. Welcome, and thank you for joining me for this podcast episode, Uncovering the Type 2 Struggler, a deeper dive into their self-management behaviors and adapting your support roles for their individualized care. This podcast follows episode one of the podcast series, where Dr. Michael Vallis described the three different personality archetypes of people with chronic diseases and discussed the supporting relational roles, that being the investigator, the coach, the counselor, the reinforcer, and the advocate that can be adopted by the diabetes care provider when supporting people with chronic diseases. My name is Susie Jin, and I am a pharmacist and certified diabetes educator. And during the course of my career, I've been very blessed to have had the opportunity to support people living with diabetes in a variety of healthcare practices, including at a diabetes education program, both through group sessions and individual appointments, at primary care offices, as well as collaborating with the patient's diabetes team and providing diabetes education in a community pharmacy practice. And so it is my honor to be given this opportunity to share with you some of the learnings that I have developed over my past 20 years of supporting people living with diabetes. And I'm going to start by sharing with you two of the reasons why I think this approach of matching personality archetypes in supporting individualized diabetes care is something that had I had the benefit of knowing about this as an option, um, as an approach, then I think it would have made me a a far more effective educator. And so the first um, reason or the first explanation is a little story about myself and how I have been doing, like I said, diabetes education for the past 20 years. And, you know, we've learned so much. We've come so far in managed in our understanding of the management of diabetes. So much has changed. But I remember when I first graduated, you know, I was this young, eager person. I was so excited to be able to help people. That was what was so exciting to me because I felt um, I could help people. And um, I would spend upwards of an hour appointment and I would be you know, I, I thought it was a really positive interaction. You know, they were, it was a conversation. They were asking questions. I was giving them the answers. I thought it was quite positive. It was quite self-directed. You know, they were, they were eager and willing to learn. They were, you know, asking questions and I'm answering them and so forth. But then I would do my follow-up appointments, whether it be, you know, a month later or three months later. And we would go over Um, I would have my notes and we would go over things that we had discussed. And, you know, I would be sort of asking them, you know, we had talked about healthy behavior interventions and I'd be asking them about how had that goal gone that we had discussed about, or, um, you know, whether it be, um, whether we we were actually talking about medications or whatnot. And, and you know what, it was always sort of very interesting that the three month follow-up for many times, my clients were unable to have translated 
all those things that we had discussed into an actioned self-care. And I, you know, sometimes I have to say quite proudly that I was effective, but you know, so many times I thought, oh my gosh, I've, I've spent all these hours trying to help these people. And I, and I, I go back to the whole, you know, felt very much like Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire with that, help me help you. And, um, and I feel like had I known about this matching and recognizing the personality architect archetype to how I would approach my care in, in with them, that perhaps I could have been far more effective in my time spent with people. The second um, thought that I had about sharing with you is actually a little bit more of a personal nature. And this is a podcast, so you can't actually see me, but I, I am Asian and I am getting older for full disclosure. And so I am, as you can imagine, at high risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that you actually don't appreciate the difference between diabetes education and diabetes self-management support until you actually need support yourself. I consider myself somewhat educated in diabetes. You know, um, obviously I'm a certified diabetes educator. I've read the clinical practice guidelines. I don't lack for education. I don't lack for the willingness to want to learn and change. Um, but yet I know I struggle myself with um, getting my 30 minutes of exercise in a day, eating, choosing the healthy behaviors and choosing the healthy foods and things like that. And so, you know, I know um, firsthand, I feel that there's such a difference between diabetes education and diabetes self-management support. And I feel like this kind of a program um, helps us as educators help people in the form of support, self-management support. So let's take a look at today's podcast's archetype, personality archetype, which is that of the struggler. And so the struggler is that person who has a difficult time managing their diabetes emotionally and functionally, often citing that they feel things are out of their control and that they find it difficult to adjust to new routines and reprioritize certain actions and needs. And I, I, and I welcome you to take a minute to pause and think of your clients that you've been caring for and think of that struggler that you've been possibly trying to grasp at straws and asking them, help me, how can I help you? Um, and so many times the struggler, the problem is, is that we have such a dichotomy between their willingness to learn and to change. They want to learn and change, and yet they have such difficulty with reprioritizing their needs, difficulty with adjusting to new routines and difficulty putting things into action. And because the struggler is by nature emotional, and let me take a pause here to point out that being emotional is not a bad thing. We tend to be kind-hearted and very caring people. And I do remind my husband every day that he thinks that I'm emotional, that that's what he loves about me most. But we are, as strugglers, emotional and feeling people. And we feel sometimes because we have this dichotomy between our, we want to change and we want to learn, and yet we can't seem to put things into action, that we often feel discouraged or overwhelmed and stressed. And this 
don't forget, we, we, we have this willingness to learn and change. So therefore we know we're not perfect. We want to be a better person. And so they tend to also struggle with low self-esteem. So let's look at what this means. What is the possibly what's happening in the struggler's mind frame, right? They are, um, they're having this difficulty with reprioritizing needs. And so what does that mean to the struggler? It means that I know I have to get my 30 minutes of exercise into my day, but where am I going to find that 30 minutes? And if I have to wake up 30 minutes earlier to get that, well, it's not that easy because then I have to actually account for time to actually shower and, and do other things that I hadn't planned on that particular day um, or at that particular time. And then how about what does healthy eating mean? Well, we're already emotional. We most likely are very emotional eaters. And we also have to plan our meals. That in itself is a very, you know, that's an added burden or an added need for self-care. So it's not as easy as just talking about um, what they could eat, but it's actually a matter of planning this and making it work for that person living with diabetes. So how can we support the struggler? So we know from our program that the struggler will often benefit from the diabetes care provider taking on the role of the counselor and the investigator and the coach, followed by the reinforcer and the advocate. So how do we help these people in the form of a counselor? Well, what we can do is we can also try to look at that individual and figure out which pillar is this person most affected by. So for example, um, I'm thinking of my client that I know, I, I, one in particular that I've been working with. Um, she's mid 60s, young 60s. And I've been caring with her, supporting her in diabetes care for well, 20 years, it's like 20 years about. And I know she has problems with, or she has issues with mental health. She actually has quite amount of feelings of guilt. She is an emotional eater. And of course that just leads to further guilt. Um, we also helped her with um, taking medications as well as um, the course of the meal planning and the trying to work on physical activity. But we actually took it step-by-step. Step. We took it slowly. So although those are the kind of the things that we were discussed over the course of, I guess, the 20 years that I've been supporting her, I'm just going to kind of give you some of the ideas of how I supported my client um, and addressing those particular um, pillars of health. So for example, in helping her with her mental health, remember if we go back to the roles that the diabetes educator or the um, can adopt in supporting that person, that struggler, we have um, first and foremost, the counselor and then the investigator and, and then the coach. And so let me start by talking about counselor. I think it's very important that we all know um, that nobody's telling us that we have to practice outside of our scope of practice. Certainly we're practicing within our scope of practice, but I think that in fairness and honesty to myself, I, when I was feeling inadequate about supporting somebody in mental health, I actually just avoided it. And I think that um, now having recognized um, the importance of addressing it and coming out and saying, you know what, I am not a specialist as a counselor, but I certainly can try to help and recognize when I need to either refer or engage a larger diabetes healthcare team. And so rather than just avoiding it, we're going to actually listen and try to recognize and identify whether this is something that 
we're still comfortable going along the lines of me helping my client or whether we would want to, like I said, engage a larger diabetes education team um, or larger team. And then that might be a matter of, as a pharmacist, I might be sending a note back to their primary care provider or their other, their whole diabetes team and saying, you know, this is what we talked about at the appointment. And, and, and uh, my client has also asked that we branch out and seek additional uh, supports. But having said that, counseling and addressing and recognizing the issues are important. The investigator role by way of mental health, I think is the excellent tool that we have is the diabetes distress scale. And that actually opens a lot of conversation. And when you look at that tool, if the, the it breaks down into different um, categories, and if you actually determine that the person has a high emotional burden, for example, well, then that actually opens up discussion that you can then um, try to coach the person through to address what their particular needs are at that time. When it comes to taking medications, I can't help but not address that. I am a pharmacist. Um, some of the tips that I've used is um, certainly you, you'd want to discuss the values, the beliefs, you know, understand what that person wants by way of medications, what their attitudes are towards medications. But I think that the other important thing is, is that they actually understand every medication that they're taking as, to, as opposed to um, in, in the frame of why they're taking it. Of course, they don't need to understand mechanism of action, but I'm thinking more like they need to know that this medication I'm taking not only for blood glucose lowering, but it will actually confer cardiorenal protection. So, you know, going through all the list of medications, and why they're taking it. And of course, what time of day are they taking it to make sure there's no interactions is, is all um, a way of making sure that we're investigating um, values, beliefs, um, and attitudes. And then as, as well as just double checking that they are actually, we're supporting adherence to the medications. Um, one other tip that I have is that I know that I've had people who either they can't remember to take their once daily medication or, you know, they can't remember if they actually gave themselves that insulin dose. And so we've actually, um, if, if the person's using dosettes, whether it's self-prepared dosettes or whether it's dosettes prepared by the pharmacy, like the multi-dose dispensing systems, those blister pack systems, um, we've actually put pen tips. So if it's, um, if it's a once weekly that they take Wednesday night, we'll put a pen tip in the Wednesday night dosette slot. And that way it's a reminder for them to take that injection. Similarly with the insulin, I've also done that because sometimes I have actually had people that they can't remember if they've taken their insulin dose, um, which I know certainly would have happened in my case too. So um, those are hopefully just little tips that we've done by way of supporting um, care in, in the pillar of taking medications. And then finally, other little tips are with respect to um, difficulty, people who have difficulty making healthy food choices and meal planning. It's just going back to those small little goals of um, how can we support that person in recognizing the foods that they are willing to eat, as well as small goals of um, setting small goals and um, achievable small goals, as well as um, making sure that they are then we have the opportunity to reinforce that they've achieved their um, accomplishments at, on follow-up. And the one thing I wanted to share with you was that the one, you know, obviously we've had, I, I hope everybody here has had the, um, the good fortune to have been part of other people's lives. And I just wanted to share with you one person who I, you know, a very typical struggler, and I've been helping her throughout her, her lifetime. Um, and I, 
turnaround because you know it goes in waves but one time during conversation I sort of said to her wow you know you're doing quite well right now and I just wanted to double check what's working for you because you know it it even see was it things were were happening and she explained to me see I had known her so this is another person but she was also mid-60s and I had known her for the past let's say 10 to 15 years but I certainly did not know her as she was growing up and she explained to me that she was thin she was you know a very high achiever you know 100 pounds and she had a great career and she was just go 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 and as things started to fall apart that's when the mental health issues came in that's when she couldn't keep up with things and um, the low self-esteem hit in, in a lot of mental health issues. And I finally, you know, and then, and then she had to kind of really dig herself out of this. And, and of course I knew her, I did not know her at that time, but then I asked her how, how has she overcome it? And she said, you know, it really came down to recognizing, um, that I no longer, I don't need to be a hundred pounds. And I know that we don't put, um, an emphasis on weight, but she did. And so I was listening to her. And of course, when you and I talk to people about um, weight issues or what we don't actually talk about weight um, as a goal, we talk about activity as a goal and things like that, actionable things that you can actually measure. But um, but I thought that I would share that with you because that was such a powerful statement when she kind of just came to realize for herself that she could just accept herself um, and not be so um, striving to learn and change all the time. So anyway, I thought that 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 was a little bit of a tidbit that actually sunk home with me um, that I try to also share with people. Um, So let's take a little bit of a review um, of what we've talked about in the past little bit. Some of the key points that we've discussed are that the struggler, despite a willingness to learn and change, typically has difficulty in effectively managing their diabetes emotionally and functionally, resulting in a continuous cycle of emotion-mediated responses that negatively impact behavior change and hence negatively impact the ability to maintain long-term health benefits. And as diabetes care providers, we can help strugglers first and foremost through counseling by listening and providing guidance then by investigating to uncover reasons behind their behaviors. And once we've identified their needs and goals, we can coach by co-developing suitable and sustainable management plans. And of course, reinforcing their positive attributes and advocating for them to keep persevering may give them the drive to remain on their therapy plan. And to conclude, we invite you to listen to other episodes in this series, which highlight the other two patient archetypes, as well as the theory behind these coping styles. And you may also consult the one-on-one care website for more information about the topics discussed in this episode. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to the day that you will help me help me. For more information, to complete the one-on-one care self-learning program, or to access a variety of practical resources, please visit www.oneononecare.ca.